Today's episode of the Greatest People You've Never Met podcast is brought to you by the Visual Identity Vault. The Visual Identity Vault is the official merchandise supplier for the greatest people you've never met. You can pick up the basics like t-shirts, hoodies, to headwear, and premium wear. The Visual Identity Vault is a full-service decorated apparel and marketing business located in my hometown of Fairmont, Minnesota. Shipping is included in all pricing, so we make it simple to order, pay, will produce, and ship. TVIV, a proud sponsor of the GPY and M Pod. All right, welcome in to another episode of the Greatest People You've Never Met podcast. Joining me today from the land of the frozen tundra. Former Bash brother, Mr. Colin Dude, Munoz. I forgot about the Bash Bros. Oh, that was fun. That was fun. That was fun. Moon, welcome to Scottsdale. What's up? It's cool to be here. Cheers. Uh, we're hanging with Jamie today, too. She's in the background. Hey, Jamie. Hey. Yeah, there she is. Cheers. We just flew in, and boy, are our arms tired. Yeah. I was thinking about that one on the way here. That was, was a good flight. dad I'm joke. like, fuck yeah, dude. I'm, I'm going to say it. that on the pod. Yeah. Uh, you did have an interesting flight in. Dude. How about that ride in, huh? How about that ride in? Uh, yeah, lots of weather. Um, we're going to fly out of Sioux Falls. Yeah. Had a flight canceled. Booked a second flight. Also canceled. So we're like, dude, what are we going to do? Got to go see Taylor. I didn't say that. Right. Uh, rented a car. Drove through some shit. Interstate 90, not open. Six hours later, we're in Minneapolis flying down here. Boom. Got in a... What time did we get in? Like 12.30 we landed. 11.30 technically. Yeah. But 12.30 Midwest time. I don't call it Central. It's Midwestern time. Yeah, it is. Yeah, we're Pacific Standard Time now because Arizona doesn't do uh, They don't daylight, honor daylight savings. That's which right. Which is, is cool except for um, it's really kind of a pain in the ass, like coordinating life with people in other time zones because you don't think about it here. You just go on with your life. It's not a thing yep. you have to do. And then somebody's like, oh, um, what time is that for you? And I'm like, yeah, my time is the right time. I deal with that sometimes. Like, well, I don't. My sister does because, like, our dad lives in Honduras in Central right. America, you know. So she's like, we've traveled down there. She goes, did we change time zones? I'm like, dude, it's straight fucking south. Like, that's have crazy seen, too. Have to you think seen about. a map in yeah. know, 34 years of living? Some people are bad with geography. Jeez, Louise. I don't know. South. Jamie's is, not good south, at geography. South is down. East is, is right. Which is true. Which is true. <laughs> it's all about um, perspective, man. Yeah. Yeah. Why, why wouldn't you say, you know, my left, your left, you know? Taking a turn. My east, your east. That's true. It's different for everybody. This land is your land. This land is my land. That's right. Uh, Moon, give everybody introduction of yourself. Uh, Colin Munoz. Yep. God, how old am I now? 31. You are? 31. Jackson, Minnesota. Shout raised, out. raised, not born, born in Louisiana. Go Tigers. Uh, miss you, Eddie-o. Uh, with an X. With an X. Um, currently, Sioux Falls, South Dakota. Shout I out. like, I like South Dakota. South Dakota's cool. Yeah. Um, working in education as I always have. Uh, love the special ed population. Yep. Kids with some issues, kids that need some help. Um, definitely unique experiences just in my time education. So, uh, educator first coach, love yeah. football, love the weight room, um, anything competitive in general. So yeah, that's kind of the, the MO for me, the modus operatus is 
we're always looking to compete in some way or another. And it's how can we get some edge here or there, but then also help people be competitive too. Cause I feel like we are in a place where people don't want to compete as much or they don't want to try as hard. So that's one thing that I do, especially with, with kids that have disabilities, you know, whether they're very severe or not as severe, it's just finding a way to, to keep working and get the stuff done, man. Absolutely. I love it. Um, I'll go back to the winter of 2009. Didn't know Colin Munoz hated Colin Munoz. Yes. We used to send a lot of nasty uh, Facebook, Facebook me- messenger dude to each other, trying to fight each other. We would beat you guys. <laughs> that's one thing. So, like going back to coaching, it like spent the last two years coaching back at Jackson. Like that's my hometown, so it was really cool. And that was like, I remember going to college and being like, I would love to come back home and coach here one day. Right. Um, got was able to do that. You know, not as long as I thought I would be, just because of some other things. But um, that was really, really cool to do. And I just remember, like now, like. Since we graduated, we never got to play each other in high school. Correct. It was so wild. It's so wild. It's weird to think about. Fairmont Jackson, huge rivalry. Right. It's What is it? The bucket? Yeah, the Oak and bucket. bucket. The Oak and bucket. Never got to play for it, but it's like you hear guys like in like after we graduated started to play each other again, and it's that's one thing too where I think about it's like I will never know what that rivalry was like playing in it, but then there's other times where it's like I I think about like other games that – have happened too, or other things that have happened or just as far as like Southwest Minnesota football in general, like just, it's a different game, but it's like, they don't know what it was like playing back then. But at the same time, I'm just like, dude, I don't know what it was like playing a fair amount. Like that would have been a really cool thing too. I think it's way more competitive back then than it is now. There's, I think talent has dropped a little bit. I think it's just, yeah, I think the bigger schools get richer, right? Oh yeah. 100%. Like the small school kids keep moving to Jackson or to Fairmont. So um, Wyndham's probably terrible now. Uh, it's, they have, and it's, they've got athletes. It's the bigger thing with them too, is I think when you're not as competitive or right. you're not as talented, those, those kids that are talented, they're less willing and way more hesitant to come out cause they don't want to get embarrassed. Yeah. That's you no hundred percent. Like we played Wyndham and we smoked them, but it's like, there's like three or four kids on those teams that it's like, dang, we would, we would like to have that kid, Yeah, you know, for they sure. could fill a need for us. But at the same time, it's like, nah, that sucks where you're at. Yeah. You know? And I think there's a lot of turnover with coaching there too. Oh yeah. So for it's, sure. it 100% is dependent on the community you're at when you get to small school football. Yep. Um, and that kind of, that kind of dictates a lot. Oh, big time. And you know that. Yeah. You know, I mean, it's just funny. Um, just to look back and think on, I mean, there's probably some small town kid that I coach that's listening to this and they probably hate somebody from another school. And I'd love to see your relationship with that person in 10 years. Dude, in 10 years. Like, I was just so fun. I mean, like, obviously, like, getting to play football together yes. obviously brought us together. Because what was that, like, five, four years, three or four? There's probably three years after because we had both yeah. done our, we had both done a little bit of college football. Yep. Both come back home and, like, hey, we're going to figure some stuff out. But shout out to Hogs. Ma- go Hogs. Where's Jay? Yeah. Dude, Jay Deutscher. What a guy. Love that what guy. What a guy. Uh, that guy. Yeah. So um, it's just kind cool. of a wild thing for me to always look back on, yeah. I guess, is I remember just talking shit. I mean, because we were both fans at the basketball game. Dude, do you remember that playoff? Yeah. That play. It was a girls. Ba- it was girls. Yeah, playoff basketball. That's why I'm laughing. In Wyndham. Sorry, Wyndham, you guys. And then we were just like, them. <clears throat> yeah, uh, screaming at each other from across the court. Obviously, using not using each other's names. Yeah, 
not doing that. anything to no. each other. There was not no. going to be a fight, but we no. were talking it up like we should have a fight. Yes. And then here we are sharing beers, at doing a podcast together as good friends. Go. Jamie's sitting here laughing like, can't believe that's a thing. Um, cheers, but, cheers, guys. But uh, shout out small town Minnesota because that's, I mean, that's. That's just how it is. How it is. I remember, too, like even guys from Wyndham. Like two, two, three years after high school, it's like you would see somebody at a party and you're like, oh, dude, I remember hating that guy. Right. I remember like having to block that dude and he would just talk so much shit and he wasn't even that good. And then it's like, oh, he's a good dude. You see him, you're like, oh, dude, he's fun to be around. Yeah. You know? So it's like you said, those high school guys. And that's one thing too, going back and coaching, rivalries aren't what they used to be. No. Um, and I think that happens in small towns too. You get people consolidating a lot. So it's like for, sure. for us, it's hockey and Win- like Wyndham. It's we're together for hockey. And like we didn't have a lot of hockey players when, when I was growing up. Right. And then all of a sudden there's kind of an influx of a little surge of kids from Jackson that play hockey. So they know those Wyndham kids and they're friends with those Wyndham kids. So it kind of turned, don't get me wrong. I love that kids are out there making friends and doing that stuff. That's right. great. But like, dude, what's wrong with a little good old fashioned hate? Nothing. You know, I hate you. You hate me. Why? Because you live 10 miles in the wrong direction. That's exactly it. You know? uh, when I was on the Jags when we started the co-op, Truman Grenada, that was a rivalry. Mm-hmm. And then they, it was so dumb because we played each other and everything else, but we're together for football. Right. So then those guys would go play basketball against each other. Those first couple of years were a shit show. But it's also just so funny. You said it. Why do I not like that guy? Because he grew up 10 miles the other way from me. Yep. That's it. And I think that's that's a challenge. Like, for you, too, being a head coach, like, how do I get these guys to kind of put that stuff aside for a second? Yeah. Just a short little snippet of a, of a year and say, like, hey, let's do something together. Um, but also, I think that's a really cool opportunity because you can sit there and be like, hey, yeah, you're 10 miles that way. I'm 10 miles this way. Put that aside because we've got a common goal. For know? sure. Um, and I think that that speaks a lot to just – I think how we should look at things in general. Cause it's oh. like, dude, you're over here. I'm over there. But it's like, where can we meet to yeah. get shit done? Yeah. That's the power of sport. Right. Um, I think if everybody looked at life through the lens of sports world would be a better place for sure. Mm-hmm. So all about it. Um, so you are now in Sioux Falls Sioux Falls. Uh, where are you so- teaching? So taking a step back from teaching, so I'm not teaching right now, doing more behavior. It's the, my position is behavior facilitator. So just kind of, it, it's okay. still within special ed, but it's, you know, it's working with more behavioral students. Sure. Um, kind of coming in when they have those behavioral needs and understanding, okay, what can we do for this kid to kind of change that behavior? They might have a negative behavior that we're trying to eliminate or just kind of subdue a little bit. So it's like, okay, what alternative behaviors can we introduce? What kind of things that can we do that plans to put in place and stuff? I like that too, because it's kind of like taking a step back from the whole teaching and the academics piece, which I love. I miss instruction, which I sound like a nerd saying. You do. But uh, yeah, you would never have thought me saying that. Um, But also just taking a step back and say, okay, what is the function of this behavior? Meaning like, okay, what is this trick kind of, what is this kid trying to get out of this? You know, it's like if they're doing something when they're supposed to be working, it's like, okay, they're avoiding their work. Right. You know, and then just kind of finding out different things. And like some of the kids I work with, nonverbal, that adds a whole new element with it too. Where it's For like, sure. I've got this stuff going on, but I can't say what I want to say, you know, and then, you know, me and another teacher within our special ed team, which is great working there too, where it's like, okay, what can we do to kind of figure out what this kid needs? Yeah. Um, 
I like, I found out, you know, teaching in Jackson for Jackson for two years where it's like small school came from a bigger school. And I always told myself too, it's like within special ed, like if I ever wanted to work in a smaller district, it would only be home. Right. You know, so tested that out for a little bit, was in an elementary school, found out that kind of wasn't my jam. Um, I liked the, the middle school, the, the high school, that kind of older age setting. Um, found a position there at Sioux Falls Jefferson, new high school, um, second year there. So it's, it's, that's the other cool thing from it too, where it's like, I'm jumping into Jackson where it's like a lot of these people have been here for a long time, sure. they've done things a certain way. And then now it's like, here's a new school. Everybody is new as far as together, being together in the same right. building. So being, you know, not right at the start, but somewhere in the early stages and just being part of, okay, how, what kind of identity do we have as a staff? What kind of things do we want to do? Yeah. Um, what kind of culture are we going to create academically, athletically, socially? Um, it's, it's really, really cool. Probably the coolest thing that I've seen from being there is the amount of inclusion that they push with getting general ed students to work with special ed students. Yeah. Like within my first week, like I was just like, holy cow, like we've got peer mentors. Instead of taking, do you remember like junior and senior year, you had oh, an yeah. open period. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go home. We're going to play call of duty for like two hours. Mm-hmm. Here, like, kids are like, well, I've got an open period. Can I be a tier- peer mentor to yeah. one of these special ed classes? And, like, we have two or three in just about every class. Um, they have a whole separate thing, like, unified games. Like, we've got that coming up next week. Like, we'll have a basketball game with gen ed students and yeah. special ed students. They'll play each other. And then next month we do one with another school in Sioux Falls yep. where it's their team and our team, big thing with the community. Um I think that's probably been the coolest thing since I've moved. Um, just as far as the, the job change since December, um, that's been probably the coolest thing to see. For um, sure. Kind of fired me up a little bit more just as far as special ed. Got a little burnt out just being in Jackson because it's smaller school, less resources. Right. If I need to help on some things. Like I had one person in the building too, um, another person kind of at a district level, but like the overhead of it, um, it was always trying to, it was always hard to find you know, the right answer. Yep. You know, sometimes I would get a couple different answers on something and I didn't know exactly what route I should take, which was hard for me. It's like pre-brain injury, which I'm right. sure we'll talk yeah, we're about. we're going to get into that. Like, like being a teacher post-TBI and just thinking about those things that made me a little bit more hesitant when I would get different answers. Because right. it's like, this isn't what I remember. This isn't what I think I know. Um, made it a little bit harder to kind of trust my gut at times. So taking it back a little bit, what made you, well, let's start here. I think the inclusive or the uh, unified stuff is so cool. Yep. I saw Fairmont doing that and they had it. There was actually some, like some of the athletes that I knew. Mm-hmm. So I know that they're good athletes, but they couldn't play basketball. Right. But they're doing basketball and they're up in the cities. I think it was like Cooper Stuber and Lincoln Becker uh, were a couple of the kids that I knew. I thought that was pretty cool. Um, not that I don't think that, we would have done that, but I was a big asshole in high school. I don't know. Like, so I'm just happy to see kids be good people too. 100%. Right? Like, if I'm being like, honest, like when we were in high school, it was a totally different view, you know, for like, sure. Like I would be the first person to say like junior or not junior, like up until junior year, junior year, like I was probably one of those guys where it's like, I didn't really think much about that stuff. Didn't understand Correct. it as a whole lot too. So it's like, there's a stigma around it. 100%. Um, and I think that as we've gotten older, and it's a, it's a good thing with societies, we've kind of expanded our perspectives as far as disability goes, and um, especially with, with, with kids that have disabilities where it's like, 
that kid deserves every right to be in that school as much as, you know, we did or the next kid. For sure. You know, yeah, they might not be able to do the same things, but it's like one thing that I always look at is, is like you assume competence. Like, yeah, that kid might not be able to do all of those things, but there is capacity to learn. Right. You know, whatever it is, you know. Whether it's like I have one student that's nonverbal, he's got a communication device. I mean, right. shout out to speech pathologists, SLPs, speechies. Love you guys. That's Jillian. incredible stuff. Um, it's, you know, how do we give those kids a voice? Right. You know, and then it's like they get a whole like a piece of technology that it's like, how do I learn how to use this? Right. And then eventually like they start using it. They associate things that we do when they do it. And then they know like, oh this is how I can get the things that I need. Cause there's times where it's like, they know what's clicking. I can say something to them and they know exactly what I mean. Hey, right. go have a seat over here. Or Hey, can you go grab the red towel for me? And right. the kid will know that right. they can't talk, but like they know red, they know what a towel is for they sure. Know, can you go get that? You know? So it's like a lot of times people are intimidated by that. They're like, Oh, this kid can't talk. What do I do? Right. It's like, dude, you can still talk to them. Yeah. Like sometimes I'll be sitting there and I'll be having a, like a one sided conversation with a kid and they're like, what are you doing? I'm like, hey, we're just talking. Right. You know? He understands. Yeah. Whether I get a response or not, you know, they're getting attention. And that's really, that's a really cool aspect of it too. That's yeah. probably one of the things that I love most about it. And it brings me back to like when I first started working in special ed, I was a para with students just like that. Like while I was doing my undergrad, I was doing that. So it's like that kind of brought me back to my roots a little bit and just kind of reinvigorated things right. a little bit too. So it's, it's, it's cool. So was it that para time that made you want to work in special ed or was that always? I had always. Once you got, you decided you were going the educational route, that's what you wanted. It was about my junior year. Now, like I was a kid growing up where it's like, probably like all my Jacksonite friends will know for sure exactly what I'm talking about like seventh grade seventh grade up until like sophomore end of sophomore year like dude I was a shithead yeah always getting into trouble and they're like all right we need to put some plans in place too so like I had one class with Tom Schuler, guided study hall Tom Schuler, special ed teacher head football coach at Jackson um but like I would spend time with him just making sure I could get all my stuff done. And I was just like staying out of trouble for a period of the day. Right. Um, and just to kind of work on some of those things. Um, and it got to the point too, where it's like, I had all my stuff together and like, I started helping out some of those other guys that maybe couldn't do math as well as I could, or didn't quite know what to do with something that they're writing for another class. Um, and Tom trusted me and, and knew what I could do. And just like, Hey Munoz, you help him with math. I'm not any good at this. So right. like there was one point in my junior year, where, like I'm helping kids out and it's like, dude, I could see myself doing this for the rest of my life. Sure. You know? Um, so I really started at my junior year of high school where like, dude, I want to, I would totally want to be a special ed teacher. Um, shout out to Tom Schuler for that inspiration too. And it's like, he's a football coach loved football. Yeah. Um, and that was something I always pieced together, education, coaching, um, definitely make a satisfying career out of it. Absolutely. Um, and that was kind of the big start of it, you know, and then went to college, went to Gustavus, play football. To Shout play out football, to Gusties. Go Gusties, Golden Gusties. Shout out Life Connor. on the Hill. Connor Getter, RIP, wherever you're at, man. He listens. Sorry. I think he's hit me up a couple times. All right. Shout out Gutski. Go, go Cathedral. Go Satyrs. Um, but uh, that was a big thing, too. Like, And that was kind of the first time where it's like, Dude, I made a decision for the wrong reason. Right. You know, like went there, like they didn't have a special ed major, didn't really think much about that. So I'm just like, well, maybe I'll do history. Right. Weighing over my head in homework, you know, 
And then it's like, well, I'll change and do this. Health Ed Phi Ed. Loved that. But then it's like, I spent so much time thinking about what I actually wanted to do when I didn't have that initial option that I thought where it's like, okay, I got to take a step back and just reevaluate some things. So then, right. you know, bounced around for a little bit, kind of like you said, where it's just like went back home, went down to Jackson County, trying to figure some stuff out, worked for a little bit. And then, uh, you know, eventually moved up to St. Cloud with my buddy, Jake Saylor. Hey dad. <laughs> hey dad. Um, and, uh, that was kind of where I was just like, I kind of thought about it. And he's a teacher. He's a health and fire teacher in Sartell. Now he's a strength coach there, head lacrosse coach. Um, definitely shaped a lot of what I do as far as like, you know, working in the weight room, which I've, you know, kind of right. expanded my coaching, my coaching, uh, circle as far as that goes to, you know, um, not the brightest, but I, I kind of surround myself with some guys that know what they're talking about. For sure. Uh, my buddy Brojo, he's a tactical strength coach out in Washington. I got another guy, Ryan, who is uh, up at like West Central Ashby. Um, they've got a good football program, good wrestling program. He does some of the strength stuff up there with those guys. Um, and like just getting a bunch of guys together and just training. Yeah. And like that was cool. Um, but when I was back up in St. Cloud, kind of, you know, took that, looked into some jobs with para as far as special ed goes. And that para job came out, started at a middle school. Um, and then did that for about a year just to make sure that's what I want to do. Cause I'm like, you know what, this is what I said I always wanted to do. And I never actually really went for it. So it's like, I think I was like 25 at the time. Yeah. Um, pulled that kind of out and just say, Hey, let's, let's explore that. And after about half a year, I'm just like, all right, this is it. This is yeah. what I, you know, I said I was going to do this and I was right when I said it the first time I just needed to trust myself. Um, so then Started doing that while I was, went back to school, finished the SPED degree at St. Cloud State while I was working, while I was coaching junior high. Um, so that was, that was really good too. Junior, I love people that want to get into coaching. Coach, Start there. Coach junior high, coach youth. Cause For that's, sure. it's, you can take all the risks you want. Yeah. And you can build such a foundation of, I know what to do in these situations. Cause I've been there in a low risk spot. Yeah. And you're going to find out how much you love it real fast. Correct. I started fifth grade football and then I was a junior high head. That's where I started. And looking back, it's like you could get into some real shithead parents, right? Yeah. Like people bitching about playing time real fast. You're going to find out real quick how much you actually love it if right. you start there. Yep. So I 100% agree with that. Yep. I got to piss, dude. Okay. Bad. All right. Back from a potty break for Colin. Um, Shout out. Grab no, a, it's okay. Grab a standby. Um, oh, that's great. I just, we were talking about youth coaching and starting there, and it is good stuff. Yes. It's a good, good level. Yeah. Especially if not like, like, like you and I were both college athletes. Correct. We didn't play four years at anywhere, too. You know, and no. like you see a lot of guys that play those four years, they transition right into a spot. And it's like, that's not a bad thing. That's a certain way to go. Um, but I feel like sometimes you miss some of those other things and they flame pretty quick. Yes. Right? Correct. Whereas like if you're a youth coach, like you got to kind of start at the basics. Like what do I need to teach these kids to be good football players all around? Right. Um, you know, and like me, like I was an offensive, you know, we were both offensive. linemen. it's like, correct. I was so undersized. Like I yep. played left tackle and I'm like five eleven, like 210 They're pounds. That's just, that's just two, two, a football for you. Yeah, you know, two three A football, small school football. It's like you just you know who can play well where, um, and that's like that's where you start is fundamentals. And if you can master teaching fundamentals to kids, right? Like you do, like you have to you have to teach fundamentals at Correct. the youth level. If you don't, you're doing it wrong. Yeah. 
um, period. Like you can't go teach the, you can't go have a team do, you know, the Vikings plays. No, that's the best, grade. that's the best you know, shit right yeah, there too. You, uh, you, yeah. you get them doing the basics, right? Um, and then you can really see it. Like I, like the kids that I first coached at, as seventh graders, they're seniors now. Right. It's like the quarterback that I had, like that kid balled out in St. Cloud this year, Andrew Carls. Um, absolute stud, great kid, great family. Um, but, you know, that's an athlete that just kind of raw when you see him as a seventh grader. It's like, hey, this is what you do here. This is what you do here. This is what you do here. You right. know, just giving those kids all those different things as far as fundamentals go. And then eventually they're going to get passed on to somebody else that is going to give them something else. Right. You know, and especially as youth coaches, you have to trust that, what I'm doing right now is going to help them build. Um, and it's the same thing as you coach a higher level too. You have to trust that youth coaching is done well. And I've been in places where it's like, dude, coaching youth kids seems like almost non-existent to some places. For sure. Um, and that's probably the biggest thing. I, and I, you know, if you can coach those fundamentals well, you're going to find your spot and you're going to get your opportunities. You're going to get your shots like 10,000%. That was the biggest thing for me. You know, I'd coached at North for two years, seventh graders in, in St. Cloud. And then, um, ended up just knowing somebody at the right time and got a ninth grade, uh, basketball coaching job. And it's like, dude, I didn't play basketball since like 10th grade year of high school, you know, but it's like somebody knows that you coach well, somebody knows that you work well with kids you're going to get opportunities to do that. You know, so like my first coaching job at Cathedral was not football. Right. It was ninth grade B team basketball. You know, are they the most talented? No, no, not even close. Those kids, I think maybe one of those kids stuck it out for four years and saw some varsity time. Right. Um, sparingly. Yeah. You know, but it's at that same time too. It's like a lot of those kids know and, uh, and they know where their talents are and they're going to figure out where their talents are too. But I think the biggest thing with like youth sports is teach the fundamentals to those kids, teach them to have some kind of love for the game. Right. Kids shouldn't retire when they're 13 or 14. Correct. That's the biggest thing. Like I see so many kids walking hallways right now oh, that yeah. don't play sports. And it's like, dude, if you just tried three years ago, right. You know, or just had somebody that said, Hey, you can do this. It's, it's, it's going to totally make things different. 10,000%. You know, so it's, it's always just thinking about those things. This is the boss man, Brian Howie and Christina. They run the show. Don't worry about Thanks it. Thanks for having us. Yeah. Uh, hey, uh, so a uh, little bit quick off track. Mm-hmm. D. LaSalle. Dude, Sean McManamy is a pimp. And you Mac, and. I love you. Brock Frolic, right? Brock was oh, there. Oh, Brock. We got a Martin County connection. I forgot yeah. about Brock. Yeah. yeah, dude. Yes. Love uh, that, dude. He's just yeah. got a soothing voice. Yeah, great friend. Yes. Um, so what was, how did you end up at De La Because So when I first moved, so this was just kind of random shot in the dark, and I just happened to, to get in contact with the right guy. Um, I'll forever say that this was like pivotal in my coaching career because that was like one of the first opportunities I really ever had. Um, learned a ton. Was there for about a year, two seasons, um, and learned a lot about just how do you coach at a high level, how do you compete at a high level. But the probably the biggest thing is how do you relate to kids. Yeah. Um, Sean McMenemy does a great job. He's now at Benilde St. Margaret, but he's been everywhere before that. So he was 
at DSL Southwest, then DSL, then went out to I think Virginia, then Oregon. They now he's back, back here. Um, but uh, that was kind of when I had taken some time off from Gustavus, moved to the cities, was staying with my sister Brenna for a little bit, trying to figure out you know what I wanted to do next. Um, was just working at the time, but it's like love football, love coaching, want to somehow stay involved with that too. So I just kind of Googled which high schools were close right. in proximity. De La Salle was the closest, and I just shot shot Sean an email. And like, hey, I'm new to the area, just looking to help out. If you're accepting volunteers, you know, I'd love to, to help out. For and sure. And he just goes, come on down to the school. Let's have a conversation. So that's, and that was, that was it. We talked X's and O's for a little bit, and he's like, here's what our schedule looks like. Let me know what you can do. And, and that was cool. So it's like, and that's the other thing for young coaches, you know, you might not get paid right away, dude. Your, you know, your first job isn't going to be something that's like, we want you to do all this stuff. It's, it's, it's sitting back, shutting your mouth and learning. There were a couple of times where it's like, I tried to do too much. And this is why I love Mac. And this is what I learned from him too. It's like, you treat everybody the same way. If a player's not doing something that they should be, you let them know. Right. If a coach is doing something that you don't like or you, that is not within, you know, what our framework is, you let them know, yep. you know, and, and he did a great job of that and also did a really good job of like just telling you what to do as far as how you want to be a better coach. Right. You know, and this is a dude that played at the U, um, a lot of special teams from what he and I have talked to. And it's just like, he was around, he was around Kevin Sumlin for a short period of time as yep. a DB coach at Minnesota. And he was like, dude, I got that and guys got in that guy's hip pocket and learned as much as I could. Um, and that's, that's something that I will always take. Cause he was just like, you want to be a good coach, get around those guys and learn everything you can from them. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's, that's the biggest thing too. And it's, and it's, as I've gone through coaching too, it's, it's, you find that, there's right times to ask questions and there's not, and there's, you know, so it's like, you got to be very particular about it. Are you going to ask a question at the wrong time? Hell For yeah. Sure. Hell yeah. You know, are you going to say something that maybe might come off a little nonsensical? Yeah. You got to be fearless though. Right. You know, and that was him. That is him. Um, I think this was his second year at Benilde. Um, and they, they were competitive. I think they made it to a section final or a section semi yeah. um, in his second year. And they're going to be, they're, they're going to be, be really competitive, really fast. I wouldn't be surprised for the next year or two. They're, they're making a state tourney run because he just does such a great job. But the biggest thing with him, um, great coach, understands it all. But the biggest thing with him is he understands kids and he understands people. Like DSL, private school. You know? right. And I know that in Minnesota, a big thing with private schools is like, oh, they can recruit. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, they can find a way to win. Right. But at the same time, it's like, you don't know how they recruit. You don't know where they recruit, you know. And what he did at De La Salle is he created kind of, I wouldn't necessarily call it like a safe haven, but it's like he created a place for kids that live around that north north metro area, north Minneapolis area that don't see a lot of positive things. Right. You know, and his reach was, let's bring you here. Let's get you seeing something different. Like there's been multiple kids that have come out of the north side that have gone to De La Salle, played under him. And not just in football. That school did a great job of it in general. It's downtown Minneapolis on Nicollet Island. Right. You get to play on a football field that... It's probably island, one of the coolest high coolest. school football fields it, in America. It, downtown Minneapolis <clears throat> is literally the backdrop. Yeah. Like, you've got skyscrapers overlooking you as you're playing a high school football game. Like, I'm getting goosebumps yeah. just thinking about it. It's one of the best, for sure. Um, 
grass is the same grass they have at Target Field. Like it's mm-hmm. it's it's grown into the sand there. Um, and that wasn't a field until our senior year. They That's hadn't so they nuts. hadn't played a single home game on that school campus until 2010 or nine. Right. Um, which is wild to think when you think about the successful teams that they've had. Um, but the biggest thing that he he did was he would grab and not just from the north, the north side of Minneapolis, like the inner city. He would grab from Blaine. We would get kids from. Um, south of the cities like Burnsville or New Hope, um, just anywhere. And right. you bring all these kids together from all these different areas. Some kids are poor. Some kids have more money than you know what to even do with. For sure. And you find a way and you make it to state tournaments. Um, I think the biggest thing that he's chasing is a state championship. And that, that dude deserves one. Yeah. Um, just with what he does is that, as far as that aspect goes. Um, does a great job of surrounding himself with really, really good assistants. A lot of his former players are assistants. Um, and so they know what he expects and they, they know what they want to do. Um, Martin County as well. When I was there, their defensive coordinator was Shane Roman. Um, he's a Martin County West guy. Um, yeah, they, he, yeah. Uh, he graduated late nineties, I think. Um, but that was cool to have too. So it was like me, Brock and Shane, yeah. you know, and Brock and I were just kind of like helping out just in awe of some of these guys too. Um, and just seeing that too. But then also knowing that like Shane's a D coordinator, Shane's a small town dude like us, you know, and that was really cool to be around. And the biggest thing that I've noticed just in, you know, I've been at DSL, you know, that was a volunteer spot. And then when I was in St. Cloud, and then being at Jackson is I've never seen a staff as close as the guys were at DSL. Yeah. And that's something that for me, you know, goal of mine is to be a head coach at some point. But like for me, chasing that. For sure. You know, because if we're going to do something, let's do it together and let's all be on the same page. Let's do still. Let's let's get to know each other's families. Let's get to do these things together. Let's be a family, not just when it's football season. Right. Um, and that was something that was really, really cool. And I haven't seen anywhere else. Right. You know, and I'm sure he's doing the same thing at Benilde. Yeah. Like that guy's emphasis on family is amazing. It is. And that's one thing that I've definitely picked up from him that I am always looking for, you know? So it's like, if I don't find that in some places or if I don't see it as much as it was, as, as much as it should be, or as much as it was there, you know, that's hard in terms of how far is our ceiling or how high is our ceiling? Cause right. sometimes it's, you know, sometimes you might think that like, eh, maybe that's what's holding us back. Yeah. You know? Maybe it might not, might not be talent or ability. Maybe it's it's chemistry of a coaching staff, you know? Absolutely. Uh, does everybody see things? Does everybody do their part? Is everybody pulling their weight? For you sure. Um, and that was really cool to see, too. That's Like I said, that's kind of always one thing. And that was my first experience with coaching, and I'm really, really lucky to have that. Yeah. That's, no, that's a, that's a great first experience. And then as I tie this all together, I'm going to take it back to you Matthew Wood and I mm. playing on the Hogs. Combined age, 69. That was we were correct. all 23 at the time. And then we decided we were done playing football at the age of 23. And we said, that was it. That was always our thing. Combined age of 69, meeting in St. Peter, Akis Davis, in yeah. one of those rooms all the time. AV room. Yep. No, that was not the AV room. Up above the That was a computer track. lab, computer lab in, in Lund. Yeah, yeah dude. Uh, always meeting up there, grinding away. Um, I mean, just fun stuff. And just understand, like, that was, like, you know, like, those are my first memories of, like, coaches' meetings. Hey, let's break this film down. Hey, let's let's come up with some stuff. Yeah. Um, We're coaching guys older than us. 
yeah, coaching guys that we played with. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think a lot of people look at like amateur football and laugh a lot. I'm extremely thankful for it. Um, brought me a lot of my good friends. It also has brought me a lot of perspective in coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, being able to adjust on the fly. Uh, just some shit show stuff that you only go through in amateur football. But uh, uh, I remember this was like my first like, what the fuck is going on? <laughs> we were playing a game. I don't remember what, who we were playing. We were playing in Truman, though. And... It's halftime, and our center goes out to his truck and just starts chain-smoking heaters. And I I felt like I was in, like, the 70s again. And I'm like, okay, this is a different world of football, but I dig it. Yeah. As long as he comes out and he keeps playing his ass off, we're good. Yeah, I think that was the year after I stopped playing. That that would have been Dean Catava. That is who I'm talking about. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows, still does a halftime heater. Uh, good for Dean. Um, but love uh, you. Yeah. Love blocking next to you. Uh, it's just crazy stuff you see, but you get to meet good people and obviously build some real good friendships. There were some really competitive guys. Like I mean, like amateur football. Like you're paying to play, cool. But it's like, dude, there were some guys that like played D two. I remember playing against Demetrius Washington, who played at USF. Dude won two national championships, championships. Yeah, you know, um, and even on our team, like Dallas. Well, that's what I was gonna Dallas. say. Dallas. Like, you can join a team full of shitters, which there's a lot of. Oh, yeah, there is. But we were fortunate enough to join a team to earn our spot, which we had guys that were legit. And D2, D2, D1, D1 players. NFL guys, uh, Joey Abel, That's professional right. boxer. Yep. He played for the Chargers for a little bit. Yep. Like We had to play with those guys, and we were young bucks at the time, and a lot of guys were older than us, obviously. But we had to earn earn that stuff. But it also was like, I mean, kind of like upholding uh, like a dominating tradition, which is so weird to talk about. Yep. But South Central Hogs is a wild, wild thing that a lot of people never understand. And I'm no. so happy to have been a part of for a while. Some good times. Going out to Oregon, all that stuff, right? Won national championships. But I think... Ugh. Uh, the craziest thing for me is when the hogs folded and then the mountain Lake Lakers became a thing. See, and I'm so close to the Kirks. Yeah. I was in Jordan's wedding. Okay. Right. Like, see, and then that was something too, where it's like all of a sudden, like I saw the Lakers coming up and I was like, what the hell happened to the hogs? So yeah. like, I didn't even know that a lot of that stuff was happening. Cause I was kind of like that, you year, were in cloud. that year where when we were coaching, you know, that was like the first year that I think Josh took over. Right. Yeah, that was the, that uh, year. Was the yeah. first year. And then kind of like I got busy with school after that season. And it was kind of like I'm, you know, and then I started playing again. Yeah. You know, so it was just kind of like I had to take a step back from that and kind of got detached from it and then just made my other moves. But um, yeah, yeah, go ahead. No, I just I think uh, I'm just going to take you to the day. So I was living out here. I worked really hard with the Kirks to put together the Lakers, like do stuff to get it. I don't move to Arizona 10,000%. I'm there at the field that day. What do you remember? Anything? Oh, from like my TBI? Yeah. Dude, I remember quite a bit actually. Do you? I don't. Okay, so like I remember playing the game. I remember all that stuff. I remember the hit. Yep. I remember the second hit. So what happened? There was two. So there was one. The first... And this was like the first game I played with those guys too. Like I had just, this is wild. Yeah, for a thousand, a thousand had, percent Because I had been up in St. Cloud. Um, 
knew that I had like I'd taken this teaching job down in Jackson. This was June of twenty. This was June twelfth, twenty twenty one, um, and like I had just moved. This game was on a Saturday. I had just moved that Thursday. I had Friday just kind of hang out, and then Thursday was the day of the game. So like I moved. Drove to Mountain Lake. We all hopped on uh, kickers coaches. Yeah. Johnny, love you. Hate um, you. He is the only person that I've talked to that actually has a firsthand account of this, too. So I finally bumped into him at Nate Hotzer's wedding, actually. Um, but uh, I've been Shout playing. out Hots. Shout yeah. out Hots. Let's give Hots a shout out. That's a, a dude. Good. Okay, real quick. Segway. Shout out. So Nate moved to Jackson from Worthington. Didn't really. Trader. Trader. Um, but like as a junior, didn't really get a got didn't really get a lot of looks like to play, you know, for us. Same thing as a senior, but that was a dude after that meant to, went to Minnesota West and turned himself into a really good wide receiver. Yeah, Ton I, of respect for you, dude. I love that dude. Too. Um, just found a way. Um, worked his tail off. Um, but uh, so yeah, we go out there. I'm playing linebacker, which I don't do. Yeah, you know. But I'm not an offensive lineman anymore. I'm not that way. Too skinny now. Too skinny. Can't move. I can still move people, but just right. not heavy just enough different. anymore. It's just different. Yep. Um, playing linebacker, okay. Um, and there was at one point, we were, I, it was me and the other linebacker. Was it Eli Karshner? I think it was Karsh, yes. Um, and we were both converging on a ball carrier. Both went for a hawk tackle like you're supposed to now yeah. to avoid concussions. And we just both did it from opposite sides. So when we came together behind, it was just boom, hit here. Um, and there was, we were losing by like eight. Yeah. It was kind of a close game. It was. Um, and we needed to stop. And I remember that hit. I remember getting up from that hit. And I looked at the clock and like, I, that was the first one. I'm like, dang, I just got my bell rung. You know, like is that we the first do. time, how many times before that plane have you felt that same thing? I mean, realistically. Like for us, like we played in a different time Correct. of high school. Correct, 100%. We played pre like CTE information. No concussion test before the Correct. season. That's Correct, it was more so, it was uh, probably three. Right. You know, and I had one diagnosed, two diagnosed concussions before that. You know, it's like this is now in this day and age. But like... I remember feeling that. It was just like, okay, I kind of got my bell rung a little bit. Like, you're a junior or sophomore in high school, and you 100%. take your first real varsity hit, and you're like, oh, shit. This is real. Well, things just got real. Exactly. You know, so, and I look up at the clock, and I remember there's like four minutes and 30 seconds left on the clock somewhere in that ballpark, and I'm like, all right, I just got to get through this, and I can relax. And we... Went through, I think we finished that series on defense. And then uh, I remember Kirk like, hey, can you play offense for us? Because our offensive line was just getting kind of just thrashed, you know. And that part, I don't really remember if I said I could go in on or not. I don't remember that because it was kind of foggy. Um, but then we went in, I went in on a punt. And this, that was the play where it was just kind of like, that's the last one I remember. And I, I don't remember if I took the hit running full speed or if I had turned and hit somebody else with it. But I remember like getting up and starting to walk to the sideline and just starting to like, I'm in a straight line like this. And then I'm just like, whoa. Yeah. And then I go down. Right. Um, make it to the sideline. 
and then go down. And I, and I really just remember getting up and starting to walk. That's all I remember. Um, but then since talking to Johnny about it too, he's like, you just got up and you were just like, you didn't know where you were. Right. You know, and then you went, then I went to the sidelines and this is just what I know from different accounts and started vomiting started having seizures. Um, and everybody thought it was heat stroke because it was a decently hot day. That was like one of the first hot days of the summer. And that's obviously like a thing. Like if you're not aware with amateur football in the Midwest, especially you not play, everybody's in shape, right? And you play at the in the it's middle a, of the yeah, summer, beginning where it's a hundred percent humidity, yep. right? So yeah, sorry. and and I was in pretty good. I was definitely in plain shape at that point. I feel probably in the best shape on the field. Uh, I would I would probably I I would equate myself at like 30, 31, probably in better shape than I was at eighteen for sure. Um. About the same weight, a little heavier, definitely stronger. Um, Probably shout a little out, lighter. Shout dude. out to my strength dad. I was 208 as a senior, and I'm about 220 right now. It's weird. I just remember you a little fatter. But that's Oh, right. definitely different body weight. <laughs> that's true. Junior year. So here's my evolution through high school. Freshman year, I was about 260. Sophomore year, maybe 245. Started wrestling. Right. Junior year, I was about 220. Senior year, I was like 208. Starting, starting at the season. What are you at right now? Right now, I'm about floating anywhere between 212, 220. Yeah. You know? Looking good, dude. Thanks, Proud man. Of you. Appreciate it. Yep. Fuck. Not easy. <laughs> no. My ass gets out of bed way too early. I wake some people up way too early. Shout out, Jamie. Shout out, Jamie. You, um, you deal. <laughs> but, um, but what do you... what? So after the game, what's the next thing you remember? Waking up in Rochester, Minnesota. Um, because the game was in Watertown? Watertown, South Dakota. So this is wild. Here's what happens. So they have two EMTs on their team. Um, Watertown does. And they start doing stuff. And like I am like combative because that's what happens when people get TBIs. For sure. If you don't know what find- TBI means, traumatic brain injury. Yeah. Google it. Google it. Um. That starts happening. They end up somehow, and I don't know any of this stuff. They end up getting me to the hospital in Watertown. Watertown takes a CT scan. They're like, oh, shit. Well, they intubated me in Watertown. So that means I'm unresponsive. Yeah. Um, Good for them because I maybe would have messed somebody up. Right. Um, They look at it. They look at my CT scan the entire. So what it was, it was a subdural hematoma. left temporal lobe here um so basically what that means is in between my brain and my skull my brain was i had a blood vessel in my brain start to bleed on one of those two hits maybe the first one maybe the second one they don't really know blood vessel not very strong um in between skull and brain starts filling up with blood it starts closing those gaps so that pressure pressing on my brain started causing me to have seizures right um that's the long and short of that part of it um they do the CT scan. They see that there's blood all over in front of the left side of my brain. Um, they fly me, not helicopter, fly like fixed wing plane. Yeah, from Watertown to Sioux Falls. I think I was at. I think that was in Avera Hospital. First, um, Avera takes a look at the scan. They're like, "Oh, dude, we can't handle this." Like their level of trauma. And then they then they send me to Sanford. They send it to Sanford. Sanford says we can't handle that either, which is crazy. It's just wild. I mean, that's a heart. Pl- it's a heart city, right? You know. Um, and then they, I guess, they make the decision. They were waffling back and forth between: do we send him to Minneapolis? Do we send him to Omaha? And then they eventually just decided let's send him to Rochester, um, which was perfect because my mom, uh, Mary. 
she was out in Rochester moving her sister at the time. So they just happened, she and her husband, Steve, just happened to be in Rochester at the time, you know, and like, God bless, yeah. you know, things fell into place that way. But so they call and she's my emergency contact. So Johnny calls her, you know, shout out Johnny again. Yeah. Johnny just talking to everybody, getting everything sorted out. Cause he was our guy, you know? Um, but then just taking all those steps. So they sent me to Rochester. Um, they don't bring me in for another CT scan. They send it to Rochester. Rochester sees it. They have an ambulance waiting for me at the hangar. They take me off the plane. They put me in there and we go right into the OR. Um, so they, what they did is they made an incision from top of my head all the way around just above my ear, kind of that temporalis muscle um, works with you in with your jaw. Peeled the skin back, just drained the blood. Um, I also had what's called midline shift, so my brain was like three millimeters rotated this way. Which doesn't sound like a ton, but I'm sure that's Dude, a Dude, for the brain amount. and the brain stem, yeah. Yeah. You know? You think about something being off center. Right. If you continue to move off center at that same trajectory for enough time, you're fucking way off course. Right, for know? sure. Um, so that was that was kind of what they did. They resituated it. They drained the blood. I don't remember exactly how long I was in surgery, um, but it was like technically I think Sunday morning, early Sunday morning was when I went into surgery. Um, 54 staples later, and a and a nice haircut. Yeah, you need to look you, you wonderful look good. haircut. You look good. You know, um, at that and that just says how dire it was too. Like we don't have enough time to shave your whole fucking head. We're just gonna shave what we need so we can open you up. Right. Um, that was wild. Um, woke up, and for me it was like I woke up and they were blown away because I was responsive and I was talking. You know, uh, backtrack. Before I woke up, you know, they intubate you, they have to extubate you. Right. And that's pulling the tube out. And when people come out of that and off of anesthesia, I don't know where the fuck I was. Sure. You know, so it's like, I'm struggling, I'm scrambling, like, I don't know what's going on. I'm fighting what they're trying to do. Um, but I have to be conscious enough to cough the thing out. Yeah. The, the whatever, the, the intubation tube. I have to cough that out. So I have to be conscious enough for them to explain what I need to do. Because if they pull it out, you, you can up. damage yeah. the trachea, all this other stuff. You have all this other issues. Um, <coughs> so they do that. It takes eight people to hold me down. And they try for hours. Like it took them most of the night because I was just so aggressive and not knowing where I was at because of it. Um, eventually that happened. And it's like my mom, my sister were watching it as it happened. And they're just like, Jesus. Right. You know, and it's normal. Right. You know, like, how do you accept that when you like somebody you love is like doing that and they're struggling and all this stuff is happening and it's not the same person, you know, for sure. You know, so I think about them too a lot. And it's like, they had to see that stuff, but thank God they were there, you know? Um, but, uh, come out of it in the hospital room, I start getting visitors, which is great. And I remember, remember that stuff. I remember waking up and they're just like, all right, Colin. You're in the hospital, you're in Watertown, you had a, you know, you were playing football, you had a brain injury, now you're here in Rochester, and like, I'm still on anesthesia, I don't quite know where I'm at, and I'm like, shut the fuck up, no right. I'm not, that didn't happen, right, you know, and then come to find out, like, when I, like, come to, and I'm like, dude, I'm in the fucking hospital, what the fuck happened, right, you know, and then they tell me all this stuff, too, and, you know, you kind of figure it out, and then realize, like, 
you're lucky to be here. Yeah. You know, that was the biggest thing. Like I had lost so much blood or like there was so much blood that was there. Um, I had a team of neurosurgeons, not just one or two, but like the head of neurosurgery came in of Mayo, like came in to oversee the surgery to make sure it was done right. There was like a team of, um, what do they call them? The med school doctors, residents. Yeah. Team of residents always in there. Like anytime somebody came in to check on me, like it was a team of like five or six doctors. Cause they were like, yeah, this is the dude that somehow is pulling out of this. Yeah. Like I was out of surgery talking, you know, and I have a, a sister, Jillian, who's a speech pathologist. And she dealt with something very similar. A guy had a TBI snowmobiling. Yeah. And he was in inpatient rehab for, uh, I think, 18 weeks. I'm in the hospital for nine days. And, and you know, that's really that's the, all I had in there. I mean, the grand scheme of things. I mean, I'm sure you deal with things day to day. Probably a little different. Can here. We pause again before we talk about day to day. Yeah. Urine. All right. So, like, day to day since the TBI. What's um, that been like? It's been different. Um, so, like, I was only in the hospital for nine days. Um, on my last day in the hospital, they put me through the thing, like, do you qualify for inpatient or outpatient rehab? Sure. Did not qualify for inpatient rehab. You know, I was talking a couple of days out. I had some other stuff happen when I was in the hospital. Like, there was a day where I had three seizures, and they had to redo some meds, some meds and, like, I was nonverbal. Sure. Like, that was the worst. Like, having a seizure, being conscious, like... I'm trying to tell you what's going on and I can't. Right. You know, um, I had a lot of, uh, um, speech issues. So like there were times those first couple days where it's like, I knew everything I wanted to say in my head and I just couldn't formulate any speech. Um, aphasia. Sorry. I have to say it for Jillian. (laughs) Um, speech, speech therapist. They know. Um, so that was probably one of the harder things and that was just hard. Yeah. Um, but after out of the hospital, we were all kind of scared. Like, sure. We didn't expect me to be out of it this quickly. You know, it was slow. Um, I'm always on the move. So it's like I had physical restrictions and it's like, I want to go train. I want to do my physical therapy as best as I can. I had two sessions of physical therapy at Mayo and Fairmont and then they discharged me. Like that's how long I recovered quickly enough. Um, still did speech therapy for quite a bit, which was good just to formulate my words. Cause there's sometimes where it's like, my brain will move too fast and my mouth won't move with it. So like I'll stumble over some words or something like that. Right. Um, and then it got to the point too, where it's like just organizational thinking and cognitive stuff. That's where the speech therapy helped as well too. Um, did a few weeks of occupational therapy. Um, and then as I was going through that stuff, so that happened at the beginning of June, I was supposed to start teaching in Jackson that fall. Correct. Um, and I had made enough progress over the summer where it's like, okay, you can coach and you can teach half days. So I started the school year teaching half days. Um, and then eventually went to full time by that MEA weekend. Um, and then as the year went on, um, I just kind of was just feeling out those different thresholds for what I could and couldn't tolerate um, as the year went. And that, that first school year was tough. Um, yeah. You know, being a special ed teacher, you got deadlines, you got paperwork, you got sure. lesson planning. And elementary for me was a whole new world you know, and small school elementary, whole new world, um, just way different from what I was used to. So that adjustment piece was tough just cognitively. Um, and then also just in my field of what I knew. Um, and then I think it was like maybe February of that, of 2022, uh, started to get migraines. 
you know, and I like a lot of them were stress induced. Um, some of them were like fatigue related, um, me not doing the right things as far as like getting enough sleep or having something to eat or, you know, those kinds of things or giving myself a break with my brain, just overuse and fatigue. Um, so that's, and that's still happening. You know, I'm still figuring those things out. Um, I like to look at it as just like, I'm just a person that gets migraines now, Yeah. but I've just got to find those ways to, to combat them before. Cause I'm like, I'm not going to sit there and let this be something that I use just say, well, I could have done all these things, but then this happened. Right. And it's like, nah, dude, fuck that. Right. You know, this is what happened now. Here's where I was. Here's where I am. This is post TBI me, you know, trying to get back to whatever my new normal is. Right. You know, um, while replicating what my normal was before as much, you know, like still love kids, still love teaching, still love coaching, all that stuff. Like that's still who I am, but now it's just changing a couple different things of how do I be that person? Right. Um, and then just thinking about that as I continue to move forward too. And also the biggest thing I think with that is I was so eager to get back to my norm sure. that I didn't take enough time for me to just get everything right and get everything in place. Just rush it a little bit. Not even a little bit like quick. And like people were like, you know, my family was like, do you think you're doing a little bit too much too fast? I'm like, Nope, this is what I want to do. I was so fucking set on it too. Right. You know? And like, if I could go back and I would like, I would maybe stagger things out a little bit different way. But it's like, at this point I look at things like that and it's like, I can't go back. Yeah. You know, I had a pretty significant life altering experience and it's very things that people die from. That's you know, 10,000%. I've yeah. got, I got my little, it's a urine cup, but it doesn't have urine in it. It's got 54 staples in it. And it's like, it sits in my center console. And I don't even think I've told her this, but it's like, when I get in my car, I open that fucking thing and I look at it every morning. And I sit there and I'm like, that's, I got 54 reasons to do my fucking job today. Yeah. You know, some days I don't always look that way. Some days I lose sight of it, but it's like, at the beginning of each day, that's one of the hardest things I have to do. Just sit there and be like, I got 54 reasons why I need to do everything I need to do today. For sure. Because I've got one reason that says why I shouldn't be here doing it. Right. You know, so I sit there and I think about that. And that's, that's been my big driver where it's like, I could sit there and I could just let this thing be an excuse to not do anything that I was doing before. But it's like, at the same time, it's like, I can turn around, I can turn a corner and somebody has it worse than I do. Right. You know, and I've been in that situation where it's like, I'm that person around the corner that's got it worse than somebody else. Right. You know, but I can't stay there. Correct. You know, um, that's been probably one of the biggest things too for me is just like, what do I need to do to keep moving forward, find that new normal, and then also continue, like the goals haven't changed. Right. You know, maybe how I approach them is a little bit different, but for sure. At the end of the day, it's like, I know why I'm here, I know what I need to do. Now that reason is a little bit more solidified. Yeah. You know, because it's like I had this kid at Cathedral. He was a hockey player, Mac Motzko. Um, really, really great kid. Really great hockey player. It was maybe like a month. It was 4th of July that summer. Um, he, was in Sioux, he's in Sioux, he was in Sioux Falls at the time playing junior hockey. Um, his dad was the head, uh, is the head uh, hockey coach for the golfers. Oh, um, that's his son. And okay. he, he passed away in a drunk driving incident on the 4th of July that same year or that same summer. And like he passes away and I get, 
like my sheets of my shirt fundraiser. Yeah. And he didn't play football. He was just a kid at Cathedral that knew one of our football guys. And I just happened to get to know a little bit better. Great kid. And he buys one of my shirts from my fundraiser, you know, and then I find out like that kid's got the whole world ahead of him and he passes away, you know, and then I kind of sit there and sometimes I'm just like, why the fuck am I here? Right. When there's somebody like that, you know, so I always kind of think about that too. It's like people that can do exponentially greater things than I are, are, are gone, but I'm still here. It's like, how do I live up to those people? You know? Right. And it's not that that's like the biggest thing that I think about, but it's like, that's something that I think about. It's like a kid 19, he's got the whole world in front of him. Here I am 30 years old, still trying to figure some shit out. It's to some extent for sure. You know, knows what he's going to do, knows what he wants to do and gets that, you know, it's gone. Right. You know, and I'm sitting here like, here's what I want to do. Am I doing it the right way? You know, and there were some days too after that, like I battled with some demons after it, you know, after the injury. Cause I'm just, you know, I remember there was a day I'm sitting there, like I did laundry and I'm like trying to organize my room and I'm like, wait, did I, where am I putting these? Where am I putting that? You know, just the little things where it's sure. like the easy everyday things all of a sudden became big, things. a struggle right. or just like taxing. You know, and I still find some things with it, like short-term memory. Like I might say something and then three hours later, or like two days later or within a week, I'm like, I don't remember that. You know, um, writing shit down helps a lot. Yeah. You know, um, telling like when I go to do something, like I'll say it three times myself in my head. Um, but those are the little things day to day, but it's the bigger things day to day or, you know, like I said, those 54 staples, it's like, I yeah. don't have an excuse you know, I could use it as an excuse, but it's like, I'm here for some reason for sure doing something that I need to finish doing. Right. Um, and there are days that, you know, we pursue that relentlessly and there's other days where it's harder, you know? So it's taking it day by day. That's been the biggest thing that's helped me, um, being where my feet are. Like I got that tattooed right here and it's like, I can only I can't think about all this other stuff that's going on here or there or anywhere else. It's like, what do I have to do right now in the space that I'm in, in this box, you know, cause that's all I can impact right now right. in the moment, you know, being in the moment. Cause I could sit, you know, and that was the biggest thing too. I sat there and I'm like, why did I take this fucking job in Jackson? If I didn't take this job in Jackson, I wouldn't have come back. I wouldn't have played for the Lakers. I wouldn't have had this happen to me. Right. You know? And it's like, that's just shitty th- a shitty th- train sure. of thought, you know? So it's just keeping those things, keeping you grounded. Like what can you do right now to better yourself when you take the next step forward? Um, Cause we can't go back. We can't sit there and look to our left and think about what's going on over there or look to the right and think about what's, what's going on over there. It's like, dude, where you are right now, right? What's in front of you? For sure. Um, that's been the biggest thing post TBI for me, um, you know, and just the resiliency that we as human individuals can can just push out to everybody else because it's like like i said everybody's got something for sure that they could just let be the worst thing in the world absolutely you know so it's 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 keeping that growth mindset keeping that positive mindset like that was one of the harder things too like during all my rehab was just like i wanted to go 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 and like i had family members be like dude you need to slow down and i'm like fuck that you know should I have listened to them? Absolutely. At times. Did right. I always No. you know, and that's just part of me too. I'm stubborn for sure. I learned the hard way, 
Um, but that's been the biggest thing moving forward too. And it's like, at some point I'd love to go speak more on like yeah. resilience and just, you know, cause I've got other life experiences that not even related to that before, you know, as a kid where it's like childhood wasn't always great. Relationships right. weren't always great. Right. You know, so there's other things too. So it's a compounding effect too. And it's just like, for me at that point, I had done everything I'd set out to accomplish. Like just graduated, just took a job back at home, which I thought that I had always wanted. Right. You know, and then, you know, if I, and sometimes I think about this too, but it's not where my feet are. But there are times where I'm like, what would it be like if I had taken this job in Jackson and then not had that injury? Right. What would it be now? But, you know, things kind of go where they go. Right. I'm a big believer of timing is everything now. For you sure. Um, God tests you in all kinds of different ways. You know, that's helped me a ton too. just be more of a believer. Always been a little spiritual, but it's like, there's somebody up there. Right. And he is, he's working something out for me. Right. You know, um, putting me in the right places at the right time, you know. And that was one, like one of the first things I thought. And I'm like, did he bring me there to Jackson to have this happen to me, to put me through this, to see what I'm really made of? Sure. You know, so I have that thought sometimes. Um, and that's one thing, too, that like kind of keeps me going, too, because it's like, what am I made of? Right. You know, and I want to see that. Right. You know, because I think a lot of times people don't want to see what they're really made of. You know, they're just, sure. they, they get content. Absolutely. You know? um, and God puts you through hard things to, to make you a better person. And I totally, I wouldn't take back any decision that I made. You know, I don't scorn any piece of what's happened to me. I don't have any, like, hard feelings about it, you know. I'm just a dude that's got a scar on his head now. Right. You know, let me tell you about it. Yeah. You know, that kind of thing. Absolutely. You know? Now, for me to be sitting here less than two years out talking to you, like, people that know more about that field, they're just like, dude, how the fuck are you doing this? Right. You know, that was one of the first things in the hospital because it's like, I came out cracking jokes like normal me. Right. You know, like my sister came up and she's like, how you doing, bud? And I'm like, well, I'm not as cool as you. Right. So then it's like that you know, you know that I'm still there. Like that was the first thing. They're like, okay, he's still in there. Cause people come out of the traumatic brain injury. It's a different person. Totally different person, yeah. you know? And to some extent, like I was that for a little bit, you know, and I'm lucky enough to, you know, like we haven't seen each other for a while, but it's, it's like a couple of years. It's, it's like, we haven't skipped a beat. Exactly. Like I'm still me. Like I'm still trying to do those things. I just have a different outlook on it now. And for I'm lucky sure. cause there's other people that, that might have a, a distorted or a tainted view on it. As to what happened about them. Right. Or it's like, hey, what happens happened. What am I going to do moving forward? Um, and that's kind of the biggest thing that I take day to day. For sure. You know, it's like, what do I got to do today? That's hard. Okay, right. Let's get it out of the way. Right. Um, and then, you know, that helps me with kids too. And it's not like I use it as like, hey, I had a brain injury. Let me tell you about this. You know, right. it might be something that comes up, you know, or somebody might ask about it or it just might happen in a conversation. But it's not like. I go around like, I'm that dude with a brain injury. You yeah. know, it's like, hey, this is who I am. This is what I'm doing. Uh, what's that scar about? Right. Oh, okay, let me tell you something. Right. You know, um, it's just another thing about me. It's not who I am. You know, sometimes I'll joke, you know, me being me, I might forget something. And like, well, I have a brain injury. Yeah. You know, my family doesn't like those jokes. I like <laughs> those jokes. I think they're funny. Right. You know, but... 
that's that's probably the biggest thing post TBI is is just how my outlook has changed. You know, like yeah. nothing's as good or as bad as it seems. Um, when things are going well, as well as you could think they be, they could be going. Something could happen at any moment for sure to just bring you back down. Can always be worse, right? Yes, correct. Can always be worse. Peter Haugen, Gus Davis head coach, used to always say, nothing's as good or as bad as it seems. Right. And for the longest time, like when I was playing, like I was just like, what the hell does that even mean? Until and then now. as you get older, you're like, don't get hot, too high, too low, because something might happen that might bring you back to, to being level-headed. Right. You know? Um, so I try, to, I try to do that. I try to take that stuff with me, too. Um, but the biggest thing, I'm just glad to be here. I'm always here to have a good time. You know, so that's, that's what I tell people. It's like, if I'm here, yeah, I'm here with a smile and like people are like, how are you doing today? I'm like, I'm vertical. So I'm happy. I'm good. Yeah. You know, so I think that's, that's something that everybody can take away from that too. But it's, it's at the end of the day, it's be where your feet are. Appreciate what's going on around you in that moment. Cause you don't know when something's going to happen that is going to change everything. Right. You know, and, and all kinds of people have those different experiences that do change everything for sure. Um, but, uh, you know, for me, that's how I've taken it. And just within my realm and with the people that I impact and the reach that I have, it's, it's, I'm somebody that you can say, or you can come to when it's like, Hey, what should I do when things are not going how I want them to, or right. not going my way, you know, um, control the controllables. That's one of my biggest things, you know, can I rehab hard? Can I do this at, you know, and I rehabbed hard for a summer and a spring. Yeah. You know why? Cause I needed to. Yep. Did I want to drive to Fairmont to do speech? No. Two times a week. My speech therapist made it worth it. She was awesome. Yeah. Um, but uh, that was, you know, you got to do the things that you got to do. You can't rush a process. Right. You know, and, and I did kind of learn that another hard way too, but it's, it's patience is there. Um, and just continuing to put your head down and go to work. For sure. Well, so, brother, I appreciate you for sharing that with everybody. Because that is a perspective-changing thing. Yeah. Uh, I love you. Love you too, man. I'm glad you're here. I'm Dude. glad everything that happened on that day that had to happen happened yeah. exactly how it needed to because this would be a totally different thing. Um, there's no doubt when I started this pod, I wanted to have powerful conversations. The first half... If you make it all the way to the end, right? first That's half true. was a lot of dumb shit of us about talking. Like Thirty of these, yeah. I know the formula. Yeah, so You've got an algorithm. Yeah, the back half—that's where we keep our listeners. Yes. But I appreciate you for yeah. sharing that to everybody. As I crack another beer, because it's just—it's just such a good thing. So, yeah. um, no, I appreciate you. I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad that everything that had to happen that day happened that way. Yeah. Um, yeah. So appreciate you. Uh, shout out you guys being Swifties and coming down to record with me while you're going to the Taylor Swift concert. I'm here for the Paramore concert. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> they open for Taylor. Yes. But I appreciate you for jumping on with me. Yeah, uh, appreciate everybody listening at home. Please like, comment, share, subscribe, unsubscribe, rate five stars, all that fun stuff. Do all the things. Be good, everybody. Guys, on green away. Only green the way you bought it.